Yep, yep. Week two in the light. I've been waiting to see y'all all week. It's good to be back uh, with you guys. Hey, before we jump in, we do have a lot to cover today. Um, let me make a request of you, all of you here on campus, everybody joining us online. I'm gonna ask you to pray for us this week because this is the week that we are finally going to officially move everything up here, okay? So we're a little fired up about that, yeah. <laughs> So uh, my wife, Morgan, and our boys, they're back in Alabama. Um, they're packing, and I got out of that today. So thank you. So um, <laughs> I got the good end of that deal. And so um, I'll be flying back uh, this afternoon, and then we'll get everything finished up, and uh, we'll get everything moved up here, and there will be no more back and forth, and we'll get to worship with y'all as a family every single week. So thank you kind of in this little back and forth um, just for your um, patience and your graciousness with us, but I gotta tell y'all a story, okay? So all this kind of flying back and forth, and so uh, yesterday I flew up here, and on Friday, we were looking at the flights, and I think I might have mentioned a few weeks ago that details are not one of my strengths, and so I'm looking at this flight, and I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's the, you know, and my wife's like, hold on. And so she ended up like updating the flight so I didn't have to fly out as early and all the different things. And so we changed the flight. And so that's significant to this story. I need you to remember that fact. Okay, everybody track with me, all right? So I fly up yesterday and um, sitting there and the sky's beside me and, um, you know, I get up and, you know, you, you have to go to the restroom at least once on a flight. So if you're like me, get an aisle seat. All right, that is polite, okay? So like I go and I come back. When I come back, dude sitting beside me, he's reading his Bible, okay? Well, you don't see that a lot on planes, right? And I didn't wanna be that weird, creepy pastor dude, like right in the moment, like, hey, you're reading a Bible. So I kind of backed off. I didn't say anything then. I waited until we landed, and we landed, and then we ended up sitting out on the, um, what do you call it when you sit up? Runway. We sat out there forever because our gate wasn't ready, blah, 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 blah. So at that point, I had a chance to talk to him. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, he's, he's a super young guy. I was like, it's really cool to see somebody reading their Bible on a plane. You don't see that very much. And he's like, really? I was like, yeah. And I said, I'm, I'm actually a pastor. And he's like, really? And he's, it's like when people see a unicorn. Really? You know, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those. And, um, and uh, he said, well, I'm, I'm a new Christian and I'm just, I'm trying to figure all this out. And um, he's like, my wife, and she was, she was seated, seated somewhere else. He's like, yeah, we didn't get our seats together because we changed our flight last minute. Oh, do you see some continuity in the story, okay? <laughs> I told y'all to remember that point. So he says, we changed our flight. So we had this great conversation for about 30 minutes. And he says, you know, we just moved here. Uh, we, we live in downtown Raleigh and, and we're new Christians. And I said, well, have you checked out any churches? And he's like, you know, we're not, real comfortable with churches. I was like, well, me neither. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, you know, the thing about churches is they're full of people, you know, so that's the thing, right? So we kind of got to talking about that and, you know, I, I didn't want to put any pressure on them or anything and so, you know, just started talking about New Hope and all the different things and I kind of told him, I said, you know, the music's phenomenal and then you just kind of have to bear with the preaching. I said, but you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's a really, really great group of people. And, 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 I, and then he introduced me to his wife as, as we kind of got off the plane and told him I'd be praying for them and this and that. Y'all, they were at the nine o'clock service. Come on. Come on. So even in this flying back and forth and God still changing flights and changing plans and using his sovereign ways to bring us into people's lives. And you know what they told me after the service? Man, you were right, the music is phenomenal, right? So, uh, <laughs> so I was just glad they remembered that. So um, it's just this good little reminder. You know, sometimes I think we think like, I'm on my way to do something. God's like, no, no, you're doing something right now, okay? 
So I don't know where you're at. Like you, you may be on your way to, to what's next in your life, you know? Maybe you're single and you're thinking, what's next in my life is to get married. No, no, God's doing something right now, okay? Maybe you're in a, a job right now and you're like, man, if I could just get to the next step in my career, I hear you, but maybe God's doing something right now, okay? Hey, students, I know you wanna get out of school. I get it, okay? But see, God's doing something right now. Sometimes we think God will do something when he gets me to where I'm supposed to be, but see, God wants us to be where we're supposed to be right now, okay? So God just drops these little reminders in our lives from time to time with his blessing. Um, that's actually not the sermon. We're gonna jump into 1 John, okay? But I just had to share that with y'all because it was so, so good. All right, 1 John chapter two. If you have a Bible turned there, if not, we'll put all the verses up here for you. And the title of today's message is Don't Overcomplicate It, okay? Are you one of those people? You don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to raise your hand. You just tend to overcomplicate things, Okay? Some of y'all married to somebody overcomplicates things. Don't point, all right? That's gonna be nice, okay? We do that in church. We do that with the Bible. They were doing that in the first century. People who thought they had figured out this whole Christianity thing and they were kind of acting like they were smarter than everybody else. And so what we're gonna see in this passage today is nothing really new, nothing super profound, nothing incredibly complex, and that's the point. There's so many times what we do as believers is we think that the harder something is to understand, the deeper it must be, okay? It's just not the case. Let me tell you what depth looks like, applying simple truths. Taking simple things in the Bible that a child could understand, and yet it's incredibly difficult to put it in to practice. And that's gonna kind of be the theme that we see go through this passage today. So I've broken it up into five smaller passages. Um, each passage has a corresponding application. I'm gonna challenge you to take some notes today so that we can put God's word into practice. So 1 John chapter two, starting in verse three. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. We're talking about Jesus here. John's talking about keeping the commands of Jesus. Verse four, John says, whoever says I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. And so John's trying to connect some dots here between our obedience and our relationship and our walk with the Lord. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's the first application I think that we should see from this passage. Jesus's love language is obedience. It's how he knows we love him. Now you're thinking, love language? I didn't see that our pastor must know the Greek. No, that's not what the Greek says, okay? Love language. Just by the way, it's a book. I'm just curious. How many of y'all have heard of the five love languages? Raise your hand in the air. Wave it around like you just don't care. There's a lot of y'all that have heard about this book. Okay, so five love languages. Let's, let's talk about this. So we're gonna, we're gonna come back to this passage, but let's get into the relationship world just for a second. This could be friendship. This could be marriage. This could be parenting. This could be grandparenting. Any type of relationships in our lives. Five love languages. Quality time, acts of service, receiving gifts, physical affection, words of affirmation. Now, here's what that means. All of us have a primary love language, that when somebody expresses love to us in one of these five ways, we feel love. Now, some of you are like, I've got all five. You're high maintenance. You are high maintenance, okay? <laughs> you get one, one love language, okay? And so the, the challenge isn't figuring out what our love language is. The challenge is loving people the way that they will feel love through their love language, okay? You figure this out with your friends, figure this out. It's really good to figure this out on like Mother's Day and Father's Day and Christmas and all the different kind of things. But, but just for a second, maybe in a marriage, let's say there's a wife whose love language is quality time and a husband's whose love language is words of affirmation. 
And let's say he's got a job that's pretty demanding and, and he works a lot, he's not, he's not home a lot, but, but he's good with words. I mean, he's encouraging to his wife and, and he feels like he's loving her well, but because he's not spending quality time with her, she doesn't necessarily feel loved. Conversely, because she wants to spend quality time, she may always be trying to plan a date night or, or plan this. And, and while he's grateful for that, what he really would like to hear are her words, okay? So it's not just how we're loved. The key is learning how to express that love to the people we're closest to. And when you figure out how to do that, your relationships get better. So when we talk about them, what does that mean with Jesus Christ? Don't overcomplicate it. His love language is obedience, the way that we show Jesus we love him is by simply doing the things that he has commanded us to do. And the first step of obedience, this is interesting, first step of obedience for the life of every Christ follower is baptism. Now, many of you have taken that step, but there are probably some of you here today, some of you joining us online, that you know you're saved, you've accepted Jesus Christ, you've, you've been born again, but for whatever reason, you just never follow through with that step of baptism. And we actually have one coming up in just a couple of weeks, Sunday, July 16th. We've got a baptism class next Sunday. And if that's you, like I know I'm a Christ follower, I just never got baptized. Would you scan the QR code and go to the class next week, find out more about baptism, and then let's celebrate your baptism in just a couple of weeks. Now let me kind of go ahead and say what all of the pushbacks against baptism. Well, if it has nothing to do with my salvation, why should I get baptized? First step of obedience. See, obedience is the reason. That, well, I don't understand if, it's, if it has nothing to do with whether or not I spend eternity with God in heaven. Like, why is it that I should get baptized? Well, it's how you go public with your faith. It'd be like me telling Morgan, I'm glad we're married. I just don't want anybody to know. <laughs> yeah, that's about how that would go. So in the first century, nobody's updating a status on social media to tell people they're a Christ follower. People are gathering around on a hill and they're watching someone be baptized in the water. This was your public declaration of faith. And if you've never taken the step of baptism, I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation with people. They say, I just don't get it. I don't quite understand it. And you don't always tell them, understanding follows obedience. Say, hey, God, if, if I understand it, I'll obey it. God says, obey it, you'll understand it, okay? So they take the step of obedience, they get baptized, and afterwards they go, I don't know why I put that off so long. It wasn't until they obeyed it that they then understood what it meant. So again, if that's you, we would love to get to celebrate your baptism in a couple of weeks. And um, let me challenge everybody, be here on that day, okay? Let's make it a big party and let's celebrate baptisms. Now let's get back to our passage. We've still got a good bit to cover. Verse five. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. So that's kind of an interesting tying of phrases together. Obeying the word of God and somehow that being correlated to a love of God being made complete in us. It's interesting wording. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So we're talking about obeying God's word, but here's the application I wanna ask you to jot down. It's our second one for today. Submitting my will aligns my heart, which changes my desires. Three things, I know, it's a lot. Let's unpack it. Submitting my will, it's, it's going to align my heart and that's going to change my desires, but that's not what the verse said. The verse said, obeying his word. But I want you to jot down the phrase and remember the phrase, submitting my will. Why? 
Because until we make the decision to submit our will to God's word, reading God's word will be a waste of our time. We'll just read it and disagree with it. We'll just read it and push back against it. We'll just read it and make ourselves the exception to it. See, everybody's got to get to a place in their life where by faith, you just stake this claim, I will submit my will to God's word. Here's what it means. If God's word is clear, there's no debate. If God's word says, don't do this, and I say, I think I should do this, guess who wins? God. (laughs) But we have to make that choice. So you can spend all the time in the world in God's word, but if you've never chosen to submit your life and submit your will and by your own volition to it, it's just going to be another book. But see, here's what happens. As you spend time in God's word, and I wanna challenge you, spend time in God's word. The easiest place to be right now in this series is 1 John. And you come to it with an open heart. You say, hey God, I'm not doing this real well well right now, but I want to submit my will to what what your word says. And I'm gonna trust that in time, and this is what happens, you'll begin to align my heart with it. I'll begin to see things from your perspective. And as God changes our hearts and aligns it with his word, he then, and this is insane, he changes our desires. I mean, isn't the miracle of salvation that he saves us and he changes our desires? I mean, isn't that the testimony of so many people? It's like, I used to do these things and then I met Jesus and and, and he began to change my heart and became to change my desires. And now I don't wanna do those things anymore. I don't wanna go to those places anymore. I don't wanna hang out with those people anymore, right? I'm gonna pray for them, be a light in their life. This is what happens. This is my parents' testimony. I'm gonna talk to you about my parents. They're gonna fly up here not to hear me preach, but for our night of worship. So that's neither here nor there, okay? So uh, mom and dad, if you're watching, I love you. So um, my parents became Christians after I was born. Now they're the godliest people I know. And so I didn't know this for a long time, but then as I got older, I started meeting some of their old friends and the stories were fantastic, okay? So uh, (laughs) of their life before Christ. I was like, really? That was you, dad? So many stories I could share, but let me get to the point. So as I got older, they started sharing more with me. Oh yeah, radical transformation when we met Jesus and how it changed everything about our life, changed our heart and changed our desires. And when I was in college, my dad told me this story. He said, you know, when... When I, when I became a Christian, he's like, you know, I smoked cigarettes and I didn't really think anything of it. And he goes, I'd been a Christian for about a year and I just felt like the Lord kind of just started working on me. Like, you know, you need to quit smoking. And he said, so I tried to quit smoking, but I, I, every time I would try to quit, like I just started back. And he goes, and I went to this revival meeting that a little church was having, a little town we lived in. And he goes, at the end of the message, the preacher said, some of y'all have something between you and God. And whatever is between you and God, when I give the invitation, I want you to come down front and I want you to leave it on the altar. Now, the preacher was speaking metaphorically, okay? He was saying like some type of heart barrier, right? Some type of area of disobedience. Well, my dad being a new Christian is like, the only thing between me and God right now is these cigarettes. So when the, when the music started playing and the altar call, my dad just walked down front and dropped his pack of cigarettes on the altar. <laughs> Turned around and went back to its seat. Never smoked another cigarette. Come on. Yeah. Changes our desires. And then he's faithful to give us the strength. But here's the starting point of all of that. Are you submitting your will to God's word? And if you'll make that choice and you'll spend time in God's word, over time, he'll align your heart. He'll change your desires. Verse seven. 
Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. What is this old command, this message you have heard? This is a common pattern John displays in this letter. He'll reference back to something Jesus taught. We shouldn't be surprised by this. John spent three years with Jesus. John penned the Gospel of John. And what he's referencing here is when Jesus talked about this old command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's Old Testament. That's as far back as you can go. So John's saying, not saying anything new, but then look how he continues, verse eight. Yet I am writing you a new command. So that can seem contradictory to what he just said. It's truth is seen in him. Now remember who's him, it's Jesus, and in you. So now we're shifting. We're talking about Jesus, we're talking about you, we're talking about people, we're talking about a new command because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So this new command is what Jesus then did with that passage. Jesus said, you've heard it said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor, now we're talking people, as yourself. And so what John wants us to see, and it's a common point, it's a common application in this letter, is simply this. Loving God and loving others has always been the point. It's not, it's not new. We love God, we love others. Don't overcomplicate it. Now, last week, we spent a lot of time talking about this. Last week, we said from the passage that the way we love God is actually observed by how we love each other. Now, if you missed that message, let me encourage you to go back this week, because again, we're going through this entire book of the Bible. There are some things that carry over from one week to the next. And so we unpacked that point for a lot of time last week, so I'm not gonna spend as much time on that point this week. Let's keep going, because I do wanna spend some time on this next part, verse nine. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Okay, what's happening here? In the light, walk in the light. Relationships, brother and sister. So again, we're kind of repetition. We're kind of saying some same things. So let's get the application and talk about maybe some different ways to apply it. So here's the application. The stronger our fellowship is with one another, the brighter our light can shine. I think that's the application. The light with one another. The stronger our fellowship is together, the brighter our light can shine. So when it comes to God's word, we have to have accurate interpretation before we can have accurate application. So once we get the interpretation, there's a number of ways we can apply it. So last week, we applied this idea of fellowship and light. We applied that to our local fellowship our local body, a local church, New Hope, our New Hope family. We talked about how while we are unified, that that is a light to our community. I think that's the first application of this passage, but I believe there's a second application. And the second application is also with brothers and sisters in Christ, but the second application is not with a local church, it's with Jesus's global church, okay? And, and we love to talk about the global church as long as it's another church on another continent. But if it's the church down the road, aren't they our competition? No, okay? Let's make sure we're all on the same page. So the application here is when we are unified as Jesus's people in a community, regardless of what particular church we call our church home, that fellowship makes our light shine brighter. See, the people who live in this community who don't know Jesus could care less about local churches. It's not on their radar. God's not on their radar. 
And, and one of the witnesses that we can have to individuals in our community are to actually join with churches who also see Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, who also submit to the authoritative word of God and let that guide and direct them. And see, when we do that, our light shines brighter. And I've had a great opportunity over the years to, to get to serve at some churches that that really was kind of how it was going. So I told you a few weeks ago, I'm gonna share a little bit about my story kind of as we go throughout this series. So um, I've been in ministry for 23 years now and have served at some really great churches. So my wife and I are both originally from the Atlanta area. That's where we grew up. And um, yeah, one person, awesome. So, um, <laughs> so uh, asphalt and humidity, it's fantastic. So um, we grew up there, our family's still there and uh, served at some great churches there in the area. Uh, we then spent some time in New York City serving in a great church there. We spent some time out in Denver, Colorado, serving in a great church there, and most recently been serving at a great church in Montgomery, Alabama. So we've kind of been all over the place, and inevitably, at each one of those stops, we would be in a meeting uh, with some brothers and sisters in Christ, and you know we have this gospel mandate to, to be a light in our community, and we would see needs. And we would say, this need needs to be addressed. And somebody would say, hey, what if we, and then this great idea would be thrown out about starting a new ministry or meeting this need or, or whatever the case may be. But then inevitably, someone who had some wisdom in the room would say, I bet somebody's already doing that here. I bet somebody's already started that ministry. And inevitably, that was the case. That we would find, oh, oh, this, they've been doing this for decades, Oh, this particular church launched that ministry years ago. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Don't overcomplicate it. Instead of trying to start something new, let's just join up with them. And that's looked different in different places. So in New York City, that meant free lunch in the park. Tompkins Square Park on the Lower East Side, church started that years ago, and we just decided let's partner with them. In Denver, that was the Denver Rescue Mission downtown. We, we didn't need to start something new. We could partner with them. In Montgomery, it was called Mercy House in downtown Montgomery with Pastor Ken Austin. Instead of starting something new, we could partner with him. So this has kind of been the rhythm that I've been in a ministry for 23 years. And so I can't tell you how much New Hope it spoke to my heart when I saw that that was your rhythm as well. That New Hope partners with other churches and with other ministries. Why? Because the greater our fellowship, the brighter our light can shine. And you may not even be familiar with some of the ministries that we're connected to here locally. I'm just gonna read off a few of them. You can find out a little bit more about all of these on our website, the Raleigh Dream Center, Durham Rescue Mission, Designed for Joy, CLI Prison Fellowship, Note in the Pocket, Habitat for Humanity, and that's just a few of them, okay? So we don't have to come up with every new idea. And when we partner with other ministries and when we partner with other churches, it allows us to make a greater kingdom impact in our community. It allows us to be a brighter light in our community. Can I tell you what else happens when we have a kingdom mindset? I've seen this happen over and over. And I'm gonna try to illustrate it the best way I can. I'm gonna use this entire part of the stage, okay? So we're gonna see if a visual aid will help us. Let's just say there's a guy named Steve. Okay, Steve doesn't know Jesus. Steve has a job like every other guy named Steve. So Steve has a job, he doesn't know Jesus, and he's got a buddy named John who he works with who is a Christian. And John has been inviting Steve to come to his church. And Steve's like, I don't wanna be around y'all church people. So Steve is not really receptive to John's invite, but John's built a good friendship with Steve, okay? But then you got like this church over here. Now, y'all need to pay attention, okay? This church over here is not John's church. Everybody tracking with me, okay? But this particular church in the same community decides we're gonna do some big community outreach, and it could be anything, right? 
block party, new teaching series, something for the teenagers, whatever, and they promote it. Maybe they do uh, flyers in people's mailboxes. Maybe they do a big Facebook ad campaign. I don't know. Maybe they rent billboards. Everybody track with me here? So this church is gonna do something, and boom, they, they blast the community. Well, lo and behold, guess who gets an invite to that event? Steve. Now, y'all remember who Steve is, right? Steve's the lost guy. Everybody track with me, okay? So Steve gets an invite to this thing over there at this other church. And, and here's how we think. This is how Christians think. We think, oh, since Steve got this flyer from this church, he's gonna show up at this church. That is not what happens. What happens is Steve goes to work and goes, John, is this the church you've been telling me about? And John says, no, that's not my church, but that's a really great church in our community. It sounds like they're doing something good. And for whatever reason, Steve then looks at John and says, hey man, maybe I'll come check out your church with you this weekend. I could keep you here all day with stories like that. That is how things work in God's economy. See, what God does in a local community is he uses like-minded churches to reach that community. And where they land, that's up to God, okay? See, Jesus has a church in this community and we're just one little Sunday school class in his church called New Hope. This is our post in the kingdom. But as we commit ourselves to being that light and as we commit ourselves to partnering with other fellowships and other ministries, our light shines brighter. Now, that's a fun thing to talk about. This last part of our passage today is not as much fun, okay? So this is where you're gonna get challenged a little bit. So buckle up, okay? This is where God's word's gonna kind of get up in your face a little bit, say something to you probably you didn't wanna hear, but we need to hear it. Verse 11. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. You ever tried to walk around in the darkness? You can usually get by in your own house and try to walk around in the darkness in a hotel. Not so good. Bumping into everything. That, that's, the, that's the visual aid we, we should have here. So you're walking around in darkness because you hate a brother and sister. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. That should scare us that you could actually be walking around and not know where you are going. And here's the reason why. It's our last application for today. Lacking right fellowship impairs good judgment. One of the biggest things the enemy does in our lives that we don't even see is he deceives us into thinking, don't miss this, we actually know why we're doing what we're doing. Church, there's a lot of times in our lives that our behaviors, our actions, the things we say, it's not coming from a good place and we don't even see it. Why? Our judgment's been impaired. We're walking around in darkness. We're stumbling around in darkness and we don't even know. And at the root of that is we're out of fellowship with a brother and sister in Christ. See, being out of fellowship with a brother and sister in Christ, it has consequences in our life. And what happens so many times is that the consequences that we bring into our lives from not submitting our lives to God's word has nothing to do with that brother or sister in Christ that we're out of fellowship with. It doesn't bring consequence in their life. It brings consequence to our relationships. It brings consequence to our career. It brings consequence to our health. And what John wants us to see is if you think that you can be out of fellowship with a brother and sister in Christ and walk around and keep living your life like everything's okay, you're fooling yourself. 
You're wandering around in darkness. So what are you supposed to do with that? Because if you're out of fellowship with a brother or sister in Christ, it means that something happened. And so we have choices, all of us. I'm not excluding myself from this. When somebody does us wrong, we have a choice to make. We can either focus on what he or she did or we can focus on what God's word says. We all get to make that choice. And as long as you keep focusing on what he or she did, the truth of God's word says you're gonna stumble around in darkness. Listen to me and not even know it. It's not a good place to live. Not a good place to be. Not a good way to live. But when we submit our lives to God's word, what it means is that we go to that person and we say, hey man, I may not see things the same way, but the relationship means more to me than whether or not we see this particular thing the same way. I wanna get the relationship right. I wanna reestablish fellowship. But see, here's the, here's the hard part. That actually requires trust. Do you know why it's so hard to read God's word and put it into practice? Because we have to put God to the test. We have to put God to the test. We have to ask the question, if I really do this, is God going to come through for me? And church, I'm not talking about some big endeavor. I'm talking about the biggest endeavor of all, people. You're gonna go to somebody and you're gonna seek to reestablish fellowship and you're gonna place your trust in what God's word says and you're gonna follow through and you're actually going to do it. And every time we get to a place where we have to move forward and trust what God's word says, here's the question we have to ask. Has God been faithful in the past? Has God been faithful to come through on his word? Has God been faithful to do what he said he was gonna do? Will God be faithful for me again? And it takes faith to step out in faith and put God's faithfulness to the test. Can I tell you what so many of us do when we get to a point with anything in our life? Maybe it is reestablishing right fellowship. Maybe it's something else. And someone like me says, you could trust in God's faithfulness. Here's what we do. We tell God all the reasons why that doesn't apply to us. We don't feel worthy of it. We know we're a mess. We know the things we do. We, we know the things we think about. God's faithfulness is for someone else. God's faithfulness are for the Christians who figured this out. God's faithfulness are for the folks who didn't go through a divorce. God's faithfulness is for the people who actually obeyed that passage. God, I didn't obey that passage. God's faithfulness is for the the Christians who get it right. And God, that's just not me. We all do it. And you know what God says? My faithfulness to you is not dependent upon your faithfulness to me. Church has been so many times in my life where what I deserved and what God delivered out of his goodness. That's our God. Our worship team recently wrote a song to just remind us of his faithfulness. 
See, if you're struggling to move forward and trust in God, welcome to the team. It's hard. We gotta lean back. We've gotta remember his faithfulness. I don't know where you're at today, but I'm gonna ask you to bow your head. And our worship team is gonna sing this song over you. And, and as they do, receive it. That may mean receiving it as you stay seated. That may mean receiving it as you come forward and spend some time in prayer. When you're ready, you may wanna stand and join along and sing with our team, but don't miss this moment. Be reminded of God's faithfulness to you.
Just reach out. 